1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Top of the morning to you on this St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and Friday, y'all. <laughs> yes, the two have combined. I see you've got your obligatory green on there.
2: Yeah, I wasn't going to start the same old argument about whether or not to wear green or orange or all that <laughs> stuff, so I'll just wear green and not get pinched.
1: Okay. I got green in my tie. There you go. I want you to see that. just want you to note that. On the program today at 1020, J.T. Mitchell, news director, Supertalk Mississippi News, and then at 1105, Representative Michael Guest. He, of course is the congressman from the 3rd District of Mississippi. So we look forward to those uh, interviews today. It's uh, quite a lot of stuff going on. The Dow will start there, down 409 at the present. Banking concerns linger, shall we say. Ain't out of the woods yet. And that is... Even in light of some news overnight where a number of banks, 11 to be exact, deposit $30 billion in the troubled First Republic Bank in an effort to address the distress going on there, and that's a problem, of course, and... This is still not enough, I think, to assuage fears from the investment community about the banking sector in general. And I know a lot of folks out there here in the state of Mississippi want to know, what about my bank? It's a legitimate concern. I'm not aware of any so-called systemic risk that uh, banks have here in Mississippi. Now, we've got banks that are not based in Mississippi that operate here, of course, chartered here. And then we have some which are based here, so-called regional banks, and then we have community banks. So we've got a a large complement of banks in uh, the state of Mississippi I, again, I don't know of any, any serious concerns to any of those here. That's not to say I haven't reviewed every single balance sheet of every bank that operates in Mississippi. It's, uh, but I just haven't heard anything that says, yeah, this is really a big old problem. And I don't think that any of the banks in our area <coughs> engaged in the sort of activity in the operation of their bank. Extremely risky activity, as did the Silicon Valley Bank. And I got into a bit of a friendly, cordial exchange with someone in social media who took exception to my belief that if a company scores an A in DEI and ESG, They likely are an F in ROI, a bunch of acronyms there. And so this individual said, well, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, I know I discussed this yesterday, but there's been some updates to it. Just going to try to level set here for you. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet, that's, of course, the parent company of Google, are all relatively, quote, woke and the three most profitable companies would like to have a word with you. Well, they're not the most profitable. Apple is. Apple is the most valuable company on the planet and poised to produce about $100 billion of net operating income this year on sales of around $400 billion, which is just incredible. And so I did a little research on that uh, assertion uh, these these organizations being uh, highly highly woke, and it turns out they score quite low <laughs> in uh, DEI and ESG. It's more of a facade than anything. And and I saw I, I shared that with him, and he said. And I also, I, full disclosure, I have investments in all of those companies. I have equity holdings. Significant, and Apple and Microsoft have been accumulating that for quite some time. He says, Well, then you have investments in four woke companies. Well, it depends on how you define woke in the focus on ESG and DEI at a corporate level. Fact is, I challenge anyone out there. Find a major corporation, a public company in this country, go to their website, and find one that doesn't have a whole series of information, complement of information about their social responsibility. Go look at their annual reports. It's just jammed full of all this stuff about ESG and DEI. Now... Here's the distinction, though. Apple, at this point, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, the four he named big tech, they have not, at this point, put ESG and DEI ahead of profit. Silicon Valley Bank did. They put all that garbage... Ahead of risk management and profit. They also, and here's here's the best example of it. Their board only had one person that knew squat about banking. The other members of the board were highly focused on social justice crap. They weren't qualified to serve as board members. So how did they get those jobs? DEI. We had to be diverse, equitable, inclusive in our selection of board members. And they voted for it. The stockholders voted for it. They're all in on it. That's how board members are selected. Haven't seen that at these other companies yet. And that's why I'm happy to invest in them. They are still putting profit. Ahead, that doesn't mean they don't have some efforts underway, and investment in those areas. And and the the other major difference is, so this person said, "Well, this is just the market. The very definition of a venture is risk, and no serious person outside of the professional anti-DEI crowd, honestly believes DEI drove Silicon Valley Bank out of business." That's red meat for the conservative acting like Jacobins? What does that mean? I don't know what that means.
2: This person obviously doesn't have the intelligence of worthy for me to actually worry about what they think.
1: <laughs> well... I- I'm sharing this, and I know Anybody that spends
2: that much time just trying to be a horse's ass <laughs> on social media, just to be a troll, is not worthy of spending
1: time <laughs> trying to
2: parse what they have to say.
1: <laughs> They're worthless. I know this person. I'm friends with him. I, I just full disclosure, I like him. I just happen to disagree with him, but I think what's missing here is that, sure, If a private company wants to focus and prioritize social justice crap over profit, which means that they've put those efforts ahead of merit, feel free to do that. And he's right. Investors, if you lose your investment, too bad. You took a risk. That's not how banking works, though, you see, because... When a bank fails more than the investors in that bank fail, that failure also flows over to, affects the depositors, who aren't investors. They just want the bank to secure their money. That's the difference. That's the distinction that's not being understood here. Banks have a fiduciary responsibility to their depositors who aren't putting their bank in the money with some understanding that they're taking a risk in investing in that bank. They're not investing in it. They're just parking their money in the bank. And these people acted against their fiduciary responsibility. They breached it, and they took them down, too. And then the government comes in and says, oh, don't worry, we got it. We're coming right back with J.T. Mitchell. Stay with us. Ten
0: minutes too late. Check it out. Let's do it. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Back in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. It's middays. Joining us now, JT Mitchell, the news director here It's Super Talk, Mississippi. News. Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't
3: it? it? Kind of makes me feel like I got to go on a newscast, but I'm here with you. I don't know It's better, that or the doors leading me
1: in. <laughs> Okay, what's going on this week, JT? Uh,
3: well, Happy St. Patty's Day, Gerard. See, Absolutely, you got a little green I got the in your time.
1: Yeah, I'll you got it slush. in your shirt. Yeah. yeah,
3: no pinch for you today. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, it's been a busy week as always. Um, before we really dive into the legislative session, which a lot of people probably want to hear about, it. Yeah, man, March Madness has been crazy. I don't know if you've been keeping up or if you're a big bracket guy or anything like that. Did you put a bracket no. out this year? No. No? No. Well, yesterday we had some big upsets, and today, uh, that was on the men's side, but today the women's side kicks off, um, and you okay. have both Ole Miss and Mississippi State playing. It's the first time ever both teams have made the NCAA tournament in the same season. So you can watch the Bulldogs first. They'll be at 5 p.m. versus Creighton. Mm-hmm. You can find that on ESPN. ESPN. And then you can find Ole Miss playing Gonzaga at 9 p.m. So if you're, uh, you know, staying up late tonight, you can watch that game. Okay. And then last night, your Ole Miss Rebels baseball team, y'all got run-rolled. I saw that. Yeah, but that's one game. Baseball's a long season. It yeah. is. This yeah. time last year, people were calling for uh, head coach Bianco's next. That's true. And then they got a ring out of that. So <laughs> it all works out. But let's roll around to the session. So um, we're nearing the end. Sonny die is... Less than a month, well, less than two weeks away. Probably, it's, yeah. it's looking like it's going to be early this year, which I'm fine with. Um, and the governor's starting to sign some bills. Mm-hmm. They always want to leave some leeway in case you know he vetoes something and they want to go back in and say, "Well, two thirds, yeah. something like that." Uh, but this week, some of the some of the big pieces he signed. One being this extension of postpartum Medicaid benefits. Mm-hmm. So Mississippi is now the last state. Um, in the nation after wyoming's recent decision to grant an extension of postpartum medicaid benefits so we're going to move from 60 days to 12 months and it's not like we're really um losing anything per se we're kind of filling in where it stops from the COVID stuff right we were at 12 months under the uh what what plan was that that we were at 12 the months
1: continuous provision right of the uh coronavirus relief act the very first one signed in march of 2020 under trump
3: yes and if i'm correct that's about to end
1: yeah it's uh, supposed to come to an end this month at the end of this month the continuous enrollment provision
3: and so we're just going to pick up from there and it's still going to be 12 months of postpartum care um, for new mothers yes and that was a whole turn of events with Governor Reeves kind of changing uh, viewpoints this year, kind of all of a sudden. I mean, announced
1: I'm, it on a, like a Sunday. It was a Sunday. Remember, yeah. I was on the way yeah. to the gym? Yeah.
3: Um, I, got, I was playing
1: golf. You I, sent it to Yeah. <laughs> I sent it to you, and I got
3: to the gym, and I was like, man, you know, I'm kind of jacked up a pre workout right now. I got to do something <laughs> though. So I had to go type the article in the locker room. You do what you got to do. You know, a little Sunday news dump. Yeah. Um, so he did change courses there, and his argument is, you know, in a post row world, if we're gonna, if we're gonna say, as you know, I'm speaking from their general point, if we're gonna say, hey, let's rid of abortions or give states return the right to them, we want to lead on that charge. We got to do something for mothers. That's what he said. Yeah, um, that's right. And then you have people on the other side saying, well, maybe he's trying to reduce some talking points on an election year. Who knows? Though, all that matters though is the bill signed now, and I guess that goes into law. Uh, july 1 i guess i think so yeah um another big bill that was signed and i know you have some specific interests here was house bill 401 Mm -hmm. this whole um banning of the direct sale of automobiles uh it's a very controversial bill i'm honestly surprised to see governor reeve sign it but he did Mm -hmm. and for those who have not listened to your show anytime over the last you know (laughs) three months what that is is it's kind of just um, setting forth or evening some rules saying that in the car industry, you cannot sell your vehicle directly, um, brick-and-mortar locations, without a middleman dealer. Right. Uh, That's what the automobile industry has been relying on for decades, I think since the 40s. But then over the past 10 years or so, the electric vehicle industry led by Musk – he said, well, why do I have to have – why do I have to hire Bob Jones to be my middleman when I can just open up shop and sell my Teslas directly? Right. Uh, that way, you know, a different route to market per se. Yeah. Um, but the legislators seem to think that that needs to be evened out and there needs to be some uh, some rules set there. And so I know the electric vehicle market is not happy with that. I sent you that article uh, from Electric Magazine. Um, I saw talk- that. I talked to their editor. And he he's not very happy about it, um, but there's two different sides to it, you know, I guess. Sure. The, the lawmakers are saying, well, we need to be doing what we've been doing forever, and then people in the electric vehicle industry, um, I can actually read you exactly what he sent me via text. He, uh, this is Fred Lambert, editor of Electric, one of the largest publications out there for electric vehicles. He said, it's always a sad day when elected officials let themselves be manipulated By stuff like this Hmm. he said car dealerships are big political donors and they are the ones who push this bill in order to unfairly protect their outdated model so that's his viewpoint yeah obviously lawmakers might have a different viewpoint but either way you can still buy an electric vehicle uh on your computer and you can get it you can order it but you cannot go except for this one tesla dealership that got grandfathered in you will not be able to go anywhere else in mississippi brick and mortar and
1: buy one if it's corporate-owned, right. that's right, other than one that's owned independently from the manufacturer.
3: And I think that Governor Reeves might be thinking that maybe we can uh, replace some of these antiquated laws and fix it before new uh, industries try to move in, or new manufacturers try to move in, but we'll see. I mean,
1: Well, we're going to keep pushing for that. I, I don't understand why we have uh, a Motor Vehicle Commission that licenses... Dealerships for the sale of motor vehicles if manufacturers can sell them directly, thus essentially circumventing that whole structure. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm still scratching my head on that. Because, you know, uh, Senator Sparks pointed that that out to you and me. Yes. That Hey, no, it's not true. They can still order directly mobile. They just can't sell them through a corporate-owned storefront in the state. That distinction... And that just means says to me, then why do we even license the sale of motor vehicles?
3: So Senator Sparks was arguing that no direct sale is still possible. You can do it through your computer, but it's
1: not possible
3: at a brick and mortar location. So to I guess put it out more so it'd be I can order my iPhone from my computer and get delivered to me, but I cannot go an Apple store cannot open in Mississippi and I can't go get my phone from there.
1: Yeah. Just put a close sign on the state. Pretty much.
3: <laughs> um, so what else is going on? What else is going on? Conference has been invited on this controversial House Bill 1020. Yeah. So they're going to try to
1: – That's the uh, capital complex bill.
3: Yes. So what that does is you have lo- some lawmakers who are for it, um, most of them – you know, they're not from Jackson, uh, and that's an argument on here. But on this side, they're saying, we got to help. This is a crime-ridden city. Um, we hope this will help curb crime, and we hope this will help reduce some of these court backlogs right. with judges, more judges, with uh, the exp- the expansion of the jurisdiction of Capitol Police. And then you have other people, especially the Jackson delegation, saying, hey, 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 you didn't even ask us uh, what we think what we need you know if we could have sat down at the table and maybe talked about no i can't do that yes we can do that we might be for this Um, and they're also saying and by the way we believe the constitution reads is that there should be no appointed judges right and so i know house minority leader robert johnson says well technically that's unconstitutional Um, he also says (laughs) that Capitol police they're pretty much just you know glamorous security guards they got to call JPD or Hines County Sheriff to make any real moves. Um, so he's saying you're just extending mall cops across the city, kind of. Right. Um, it's a very controversial bill. You know, it's starting to it's starting to garner some national attention, especially with the storyline of this is not me putting it out there white lawmakers saying, "Hey, we want to uh, we want to do something about the blackest major city in America." You know. So there's a lot of opinion surrounding House Bill 1020. It's honestly the most publicized one of this session, yeah. uh, this or the postpartum. Got the most
1: attention, no doubt.
3: Yeah, and so they're going to try to iron that out. Um, but uh, mm. Representative Johnson did say, if it goes through with appointed judges, you can't undoubtedly expect lawsuits to happen.
1: Mm. Well, we'll see where, where that one goes. Uh, th- that has been controversial and I'm a little surprised that we had so many controversial measures in an election year. The ballot initiative process, where are we on that?
3: Right. So they're also continuing to do that. Yep. or are trying to. Uh, Mississippi's... Um, still without a ballot initiative process, which was stripped uh, back during the whole uh, medical marijuana saga. The argument revolves around the signatures. Mm-hmm. The Senate wants more. The House wants around 106,000. They, they said they will be fine with that. The Senate is somewhere, I still think, north of 200. 240. Yeah, that's a lot Yeah, for a grassroots Big campaign. Delta. So we're still trying to do that. Um, or they're still trying to do that. And signy die is just right around the corner. Yeah. We His didn't get to talk about times bank closures, but if you stay listening, dialed in right now, you can hear if all these national bank closures are going to affect Mississippi, 1035, Kelly Bennett will tell you.
1: Sounds good. Riders on the storm by the doors, bumping us out. J.T.'s favorite. Thanks for coming in, J.T. Bye, Thanks, Rod. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: with Gerard Gibbers. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi Okay now, you have a good one
1: Okay, is that uh, some Irish tune as well?
2: Actually, this is the score from the scene where John Wayne fights his brother-in-law in in The Quiet Man, which is set in
1: Ireland. Okay, that'll work. That's close enough. (laughs) I was flipping the channels last night, couldn't sleep, reading, and uh, came across Ben-Hur. Remember that one? That's awesome. That was just awesome. Charlton Heston, of course. Fascinating. I often wonder how accurate that is of those times. You think? Costumes, probably a little bit of. uh a
2: little Hollywoodish. Yeah, a little liberty taken. Yeah. But, I mean, there's evidence of. Chariot races and large colosseums filled
1: with spectators and people being people and the um, the naval conflicts. Oh yeah, which are featured use of those. Uh, I guess once you're tried and convicted, you're condemned to the galleys, right? To propel the ships think that was all fairly accurate. And there
2: were even examples of gladiatorial games where they would flood arenas and have naval battles
1: for a crowd. I'll be darned. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know That's that. That's an
2: incredible spectacle to imagine. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around that mm-hmm. back in the time of ancient Rome, they had the skills and technology to flood an entire arena. That's true. And put on a show like that. But they did it.
1: I wonder if they got some help from somebody along the lines. You know, there's lots of theories about that, right? Aliens, little green men coming in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I think uh, I think history is not written as effectively as it probably will be in the future. I mean, we we know more about the past now than we ever have and we're always learning even more yeah i mean when we were growing up the the ideas of the stone age and the bronze age and the iron age and that was that was about all you got right and now there's places that archaeologists are finding that kind of make historians and paleontologists and archaeologists and anthropologists scratch
1: their heads well you have to attribute that would you not to New techniques, new technology, like everything oh, else, yeah. affecting everything else, being used in that world.
2: I wouldn't go so far as to jump off the deep end like some people are saying, where the, there was a advanced civilization that spanned the globe before the last ice age and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, we definitely don't know the whole story of humanity.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. And we keep learning more. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the Ice Age, fascinating expose Tucker Carlson did last night on just how wrong all the doomsayers were in 2016, not so long ago. The Department of Interior warned that Statue of Liberty would be underwater. Even There was even an organization prior to that, like back in the early 2000s, that said that, that would, this was likely the Statue of Liberty would be... I, I think it was a Harvard professor or something to that effect. Because so, you know it has to be right if it's a Harvard PhD. Oh, well, well, of course.
2: <laughs> they know better than everyone.
1: And they said this would happen, like, by 2017, something to that effect. And it didn't. And I may have the dates wrong a little bit, but the date is past. I'll just put it that way. The date by which the prediction in the early 2000s was that the Statue of Liberty would be underwater because of the melting of the polar ice caps, right? Right. But it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, Al Gore was famous for telling the world there'd be no snow on Mount Fuji.
1: That's true. He sure did. There's still snow on Mount Fuji. And... Our old friend Greta, can you please pronounce her name? Thunberg. Okay, yeah, yeah. A top climate, she says. She tweeted, this would be June of 2018. A top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Fast Let's forward see. five years. 18, 19, 21, 20, 20, 20. How are we doing? I think we just hit it,
2: so it's. Been- I think that's why she deleted that. <laughs> she tweet.
1: deleted it. Correct.
2: Why? Well, she's the perfect example of no matter how much you bend over backwards and kowtow to these idiots, that's never going to be good enough. <laughs> Evidently, because she's been arrested recently for protesting the installation of windmills, <laughs> 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 because it was they were being installed on the land of reindeer herders.
1: Make your mind up there, toots, will you? <laughs> Get save the it. planet, but
2: don't save it like that.
1: <laughs> oh, it's you have to laugh because have they been right yet, all these, no. all these doomsayers? No. That's the problem. Now, I might be willing to accept to some degree that there's some impact caused by man on the climate, some. If I could see a little bit, two things. One, more empirical scientific evidence, and two, just one prediction they make come to fruition. Just one. Because so far, zero. (laughs) They're batting
2: zero. That's how you know they're not really serious, and this is all just a ploy to gain power. Because if they really cared about the environment, they would be shouting from the rooftops the things that they've done correctly. Remember back in the late 80s, early 90s when all the rage was acid rain? We're not going to be able to have crops because of acid rain. It's going to eat the paint off your cars. Acid rain. (laughs) Well, guess what? Regulations were put in place. Industries changed how they did things. And acid rain went away. Yep. But they don't give a flying rat's rear end about the environment. They care about power. So they don't champion the things that they've actually done
1: right. Something else the climate experts warned about. Major European cities will sink beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate. By By 2020, this was 2004. Siberian climate. Wait, I thought we were trying to believe we were working on warming, and that. I I'm confused. That's Please help they, me. That's
2: why they've gone to the wordsmithing of climate change.
1: Okay. <laughs> because in the seventies,
2: Leonard Nimoy was warning everyone that the next ice age was coming and he wouldn't be able to grow crops.
1: Well, I I literally watched that. I kid you not. That was. Um, what was the name of the series that he hosted there? I I literally watched it on YouTube last night, that exact episode from like 77. In Search of. In Search of, right. Like 77 or something. And and he's he's outside and in the background is an interstate full of vehicles traversing of course and and he's making these predictions and he's so damn serious about it. And not an iota of that came to pass. 1977. And he's, look, he's scorning you. You better change now. Like Greta does. And now, now she's working feverishly to delete her tweets. Unbelievable. It's like the signature bank <laughs> I had somebody that tuned in when we were playing. What's his name? Finn, Finn Brigham. Yeah. <laughs> How did he define himself? A gender queer, masculine. I can not <laughs> I don't even know.
2: I think it was gender fluid transmasculine.
1: <laughs> no, I'm looking at it. Gender queer transmasculine. <laughs> That's it. Whatever that is. And they paid this a sky. bunch of
2: buzzwords for look at me, pay attention to me. <laughs> Mommy didn't hug me and daddy never told me he
1: loved me. That's you, all it is. You know he got six figures to do this pronoun seminar, <laughs> and he's it's so, like talking to you like you're in the third grade. It's like agreement of subject and verb lesson, except the equivalent is pronouns. <laughs> and they paid him. Well, somebody texted me yesterday, tuned in, just at the point... <laughs> we were playing that said what the i can't repeat what they said (laughs) is that and i had to explain it's not us it's (laughs) it's finn what's his name finn right yeah (laughs) finn brigham then the ceo was just exuberant to present finn and invest their money in pronoun coaching well in the meantime I got to share with you when we come back that there's a, there's a bit of, I think, positive news on that front, and that a DEI director got fired because she rejected the woke ideology. This is at a um, community college. <laughs> in California, and she said, I'm not backing down, and they fired her because she didn't get into all this crap, and I'll tell you what all that crap is when we come back on Midday. Stay with us.
0: Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians, Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. While in the merry month
2: of May, not from me home I started Left the girls that chew me Nearly broken i saluted Father dear Kiss me darling Mother Drank a pint of beer Me grief And tears are smothered enough
0: To <laughs> reap the corn Leave for I was born Caught a stout Black tart To banish ghosts And goblins Brand new pair of brogues To rot the love of the bugs Frighten all the dogs On the rocky
1: road To Dublin One to three See, That's but like boy, the maximum again, amount of words You can put Have a pint of beer A pint or two, I bet. So we do have an important correction regarding the postpartum Medicaid that I want to get out there that um, our news director, J.T. Mitchell, shared with with me in the green room here after the interview with J.T. We weren't quite sure as to when the postpartum Medicaid coverage would go into effect. Thought it might be July 1. It turns out it's immediate. It's immediately. So just wanted to clarify that. It's immediately. He did do the research on that. Appreciate JT for that. So the governor has signed that into law this week. That goes into effect immediately. I still say that with the continuous enrollment provision coming to an end at the uh, end of the month, it is estimated that some 19 million covered by Medicaid in the country, will no longer be eligible and will be informed that they're not covered by Medicaid. I think you'll see 100 to 110,000 Mississippians in that same situation. It's calm before the storm, folks. You're not hearing anything about it right now. We've said it on the program for some time. You're going to see lots of backlash, you guys know this anytime you got a government benefit and all of a sudden that gets taken away that's like you know in business we used to call we used to call it the puppy dog sale just take it home over the weekend said the pet store salesman just try the puppy out over the weekend if it doesn't work out bring it back oh yeah yeah <laughs> You're going to bring it back after the week. Same deal. Same exact deal. It's a puppy dog deal. Democrats know that. Government benefits, whoo, they're sticky. They're just sticky. They are. So this is a a problem, I think, that's just kind of hiding beneath the surface that's going to get a lot of attention. So I was talking about This DEI director, and I'll go ahead and and, uh, describe her. She's a black female. I don't think she'd be mad for me to describe her as such. She is the director. (laughs) Get this, Rhino. These titles, these organizations, the Office of Equity, Social Justice, and Multicultural Education. (laughs) They're, like, obsessed with these titles and these labels for these departments. And this is a community college in California. She said she was dismissed earlier this month for criticizing her own department. Said they had too narrow a view of diversity, equity, and inclusion philosophy. And she felt like more perspectives should be brought to that endeavor. I agree. She's been in this role since 2021. She says, I'm not going quietly. I cannot do that, and I won't do that. My plans truly are to continue shining a light. I am putting a floodlight, and I am telling all because I feel like if the public knew what was happening on their tax dollars, I feel like there would be an outrage and a demand for change. I agree with miss lee she said this is why she was terminated all oh, the tolerant left she questioned anti-racist orthodoxy remember we shared it many many times the view of crt adherence is that you must engage in racism present day racism to atone for prior racism and future racism to atone for present racism—it's just it, it just perpetuates racism. They they don't try to hide it. So she questioned that orthodoxy. She objected to the college's land acknowledgments for an indigenous tribe. Oh, the horror! And tried to bring a quote Jewish inclusion event to campus. They didn't like that. Can't include the Jews. What's up with that? declined to join a, quote, socialist network, refused to use <laughs> the gender-neutral terms Latinx and Filipinx. <laughs> inquired why the word black. I've done the same thing. Why is that capitalized but not white? And allegedly disrespected a founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, of course, we know now all the founders are just, they're just shakedown artists that enriched themselves under the pretense of of uh, being advocates for blacks in this country. She said, I no longer will participate in gender pronouns because I find that the same toxic ideologies around race ideologies are now being advanced under gendered ideologies. Yes, bravo! She gets it. Coming right back with Congressman Michael Guest.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: We are back for Hour 2 of Middays, live from the Element Well Studios on this. Friday, y'all. And what other, what's the day? St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) We've got uh, Congressman Michael Guest in the Element Well Studios. Good to see you, Congressman.
4: Uh, Good to see you, and happy St. Patrick's Day.
1: You bet. So, you've been to the border.
4: That's right. Just got back. Uh, second trip to the border within the last month. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, myself, uh, along with the majority of the Republican members of Homeland Security, went to El Paso, uh, spent three days in El Paso, uh, meeting with uh, elected officials, uh, meeting with our state and federal partners uh, in El Paso. Uh, and then uh, just this week, uh, McAllen, uh, so down in the RGV sector uh, of the border. Uh, and we actually had a field hearing uh, where we had the chief of the Border Patrol as our primary witness.
1: Well, you can add something to your resume that the
4: president and vice president can't,
1: which is that you've actually been physically to the border.
4: That's right, on multiple occasions. And so, uh, you know, j- just this Congress, uh, have been twice uh, within uh, just uh, over th- three months now, and uh, uh, we're going to continue to p- have our focus on the border. You know, th- the hearing that we had, Gerard, this uh, this week is probably the most productive Homeland Security Committee hearing that I've been in since I've been in Congress. Uh, and it was refreshing to to see the chief of the Border Patrol actually get up there and contradict Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, I think we all know that Secretary Mayorkas, when he gets up and uh, testifies before Congress or when he conducts an interview uh, telling the American people that the border is secure, we all just scratch our head and wonder what world uh, is Secretary Mayorkas (laughs) living in. Uh, But the chief of the Border Patrol, who answers to Secretary Mayorkas, uh, said two things. One, he said, we do not have operational control of the border. Uh, The second thing he said is that along the southwest border, five of the nine sectors uh, along the border, so more than half of the southwest border is not secure uh, and the third thing uh, that he also added, uh, which was uh, very telling, uh, again, it's something that we all knew, is that much of what we're seeing on the border is caused by the policies of this administration. So to have someone who's employed by the administration, who is actually willing to call the administration out, actually able to call balls and strikes, uh, tell us the truth, was so refreshing to be able to be there and to hear truthful answers to these hard questions.
1: Do you believe that the reason the president and the vice president won't physically go to the border, uh, Congressman, is because you know cameras would follow them, and it wouldn't be hard to pick up in the field of view there from the camera what's actually happening at the border, which is illegals are just pouring across it.
4: Uh, you're exactly right, jar The last thing they want to do is call any attention to what's happening on the border. I mean, uh, the numbers continue to be staggering. Uh, you know, you look at what's happened uh, under this president. You know, last year there were over 2.3, almost 2.4 million encounters uh, along the border. Uh, that's up from the year before under this president with 1.73. and And we're on track again to break that record. And so you've got an increasing number of immigrants who are coming across the border Mm. Uh, we're not talking about the drugs uh, the the marijuana uh, which is legal in some places but still illegal nationally Uh, but more importantly the cocaine methamphetamine and fentanyl uh, leading cause of death Americans 18 to 45 is drug overdose so we know much of that is tied uh, to uh, overdoses resulting in fentanyl and now we're starting to see violence particularly on the Mexican side Uh, we saw a couple weeks ago four US citizens cross the border there at Brownsville Uh, those individuals were kidnapped uh, two were killed a third were, was uh, third individual was shot uh, and so we're starting to see drug cartels become emboldened uh, by the the record profits they've been able to make by shipping drugs to yeah. people across the border uh, and the border is becoming less and less secure and again uh, the Border Patrol chief said that we do not have operational control of the southwest border.
1: Do you believe, as uh, Senator Graham does, which may be a, a little extreme on his part, that we should mobilize our military in any way?
4: I do. Uh, you know. I, you know. And, and currently, there are. Uh National Guard components there assisting on the border. Uh, When I was in El Paso, myself and Sheriff Ezell, we uh, we visited, uh, I think it's the 112th military company out of uh, Canton. Uh, They had uh, been activated, uh, and they're currently stationed in El Paso, providing a support capacity for uh, Border Patrol. Uh, We see uh, that the Texas governor, Governor Abbott, uh, also has National Guardsmen who are there on the border assisting uh, Border Patrol uh, in their mission. And they've been very effective. Uh, when we were in El Paso, we were at a certain segment, uh, and they said this was one of the busiest segments uh, of the border uh, until the National Guard arrived. And then when the National Guard arrived, suddenly uh, they moved to to, to other parts uh, there. Uh, mm-hmm. But the National Guard is being effective. Uh, and so I, I do think that we need to do more uh, integrating our military in a support capacity for the Border Patrol. Uh, and also, I think we mm-hmm. need to make sure that we're share, sharing intelligence uh, as it relates to particular drug cartels, drug organizations. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think that there are information that we have or, or should be able to obtain on where some of these key cartel leaders are uh, in hopes that we can get the Mexican government to help us effectuate arrest, uh, find areas to where drugs are being manufactured so that we can do something to take out those manufacturing sites. Uh, and so I do think that there is an important component that the military can play along with uh, our federal law enforcement officers
1: all right let's turn our attention to uh, dc with respect to this hunter biden thing because that's in your wheelhouse now right as you're serving as chairman of the committee on ethics Uh, lots of information that has uh, surfaced in the last 48 hours this just seems to me like the Biden family is a, a blatant crime family i don 't know how else to say it it looks i mean it it wasn't even sophisticated
4: yeah and, and you're right the, the more information uh, that comes out uh, the worse it looks for for hunter Biden and works the worse it, it looks for the entire family now this this will be something that judiciary and oversight will be looking at okay uh, ethics were limited to members Just of members congress, okay and it, and it's active members of congress uh, okay you know recently uh, some th- some information came out about former members And while we're not continuing the investigation, uh, ethics jurisdiction ceases uh, at the time, uh, and a member is no longer serving in Congress. Uh, But I will tell you that oversight, uh, the judiciary, uh, Jim Jordan uh, particularly, and his committee, uh, Comer uh, from Kentucky, who chairs oversight, they're aggressively looking into what's going on. Uh, And, you know, what we had been hearing so long in the media, uh, on Fox News, but all the other media stories uh, had buried. Uh, we're now seeing come to fruition we're seeing that it was true those things that were being covered up by the media were actually uh, were were, were truthful statements and i hope that we can get to the bottom of it It, it's just hard to look at the
1: events that transpired and the sequence of events and not think that there was just something going on here now Hunter Biden can get paid for Hunter Biden services, but he can't get paid for peddling his dad's services
4: when he was vice president. I mean, is that essentially correct? No, that, that, that that's exactly right. You know, and and what Hunter Biden was doing, I believe, was selling influence to his father. Sure. You know, and one of one of the things that I still think is crazy is the artwork that Hunter Biden is able to sell for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, which which clearly he has no artistic talent whatsoever. Uh, and again, that's just a way for. The, the Biden family, to justify large sums of income coming into the family. Uh, and Hunter Biden, the only thing that he has to offer is access to his father sure. and access to his No other value. None, none whatsoever. Right. And now we're learning that uh, Hallie Biden, is compensated as well. That's right. You know, and, and so we see that it, it, it is expanding out from there. Uh, uh, and and I, th- I think the more that we dig, the more that we're going to be able to uncover. And, and I hope the more shocked that the American people are going to be. Uh, and, and I hope they're shocked in a good way in the fact that they're shocked and that they want to change and that they demand a change, uh, because I think this president has been a colossal failure. Yeah. And I just wonder
1: how this affects the 2024 cycle does this uh, get to the point where maybe Joe Biden is is not the candidate? Because at this point, it looks like nobody else
4: is even going to throw their hat in the ring. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at this point, you know, he has done a good job of clearing the field. It yeah. looks like uh, he may have one or two fringe uh, individuals uh, who announced that they uh, w- would run. But any, any true competitor looks like at this point that they're on the sidelines and they're going to defer to the president. Uh, but, you know, as a Republican, you know, I, I think that's good for us because yeah. we can focus focus on what this administration has done, whether it be the border, whether it be the economy, uh, geopolitically, the things that we're seeing uh, internationally uh, that are going on. We can talk about the, the budget deficits. Uh, and we can really paint a contrast, I believe, from what has happened under four years under this president to what the Republican nominee will do.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you can hang around. Yes, sir. We got to Congressman Michael Guest in the <laughs> Element Well Studios. We're coming right back.
0: You haven't learned The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling.
5: Hit it. Go. Play it.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: So what inspired that one, Ryan? I mean, I'm not going to play all Irish music today. <laughs> no, it's a great tune. And it, it, I tell you, every time you play it, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies, one of the best movies of all, of all time, The Right Stuff. Right? When they're playing that oh, yeah. on board the capsule. Little did they know their fate at that point, right? Uh, but that's pretty good. Appreciate that, Ryan. Now, we've got Congressman Michael Guest in the Element Wealth uh, Studios, All right, so, Congressman, we've got uh, the border situation. And, and by the way, I appreciate, as a constituent, you going there and, and visiting it firsthand. I don't see how in the world the folks in Washington can think about making policy about something that really is physical in nature. It's physical in nature. We're talking about people, human beings, crossing a border that appears to be totally porous at this point, and they tell Americans, oh, no, everything, Majorcus pretty much tells us, oh, no, it's under control. So I appreciate you going and witnessing it firsthand and reporting back to us. Um, Why can't we get the president and the vice president to do that?
4: You know, both the president and vice president have made a photo op stop very briefly, (laughs) touched down. Uh, I think uh, when the president uh, came to El Paso, you know, there were reports that they had cleaned up all all the immigrants. They had moved all the immigrants. So when the president arrives, you know, everything looks like, you know, just a normal city anywhere else. But clearly that's not the case. Unbelievable. The figures themselves bared out 24 months straight of more than 150,000 border crossers. Uh, You know, I tell you one thing that just will, you know, uh, for for your listening audience. So when we were in El Paso, uh, we visited one of the border uh, processing facilities. Uh, because of the huge service of immigrants, a lot of the money that has been invested into Customs Border Patrol the last two years under this administration has been in the processing side uh, to get immigrants across the border, get them processed and released uh, into the interior. Uh, and so we were at a soft-sided facility, basically a giant, big, giant tent, uh, heated and cool. Uh, and in talking with the Border Patrol officials, uh, we started talking about the cost associated. What's the cost annually of this facility? That facility alone in one sector was $200 million a year. Oh uh, I was told that there was, uh, hmm. there was a processing facility in every one of the nine, uh, districts along the border. Uh, so you equate that out. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at almost $2 billion a year on soft-sided facilities to, uh, just to process individuals who are coming into the country. Hmm. So anytime the president talks about his budget, uh, money he wants to spend things on, things that are important to him, It's not about securing the border. Uh, It's about uh, speeding up the process so we can allow more immigrants to come across the border and to be released into the interior. Yeah,
1: it's unbelievable. Well, uh, turn our attention a bit to uh, economic policy and finance, if that's okay with you. And yesterday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is about, in my view, as competent as Secretary Mayorkas, um, it's it's a comedy of errors. Secretary
4: Buttigieg, don't forget oh, him. Yeah. Let's let's add him in there.
1: <laughs> well, she was up on the hill yesterday, uh, in light of the Silicon Valley Bank crash, and and of course lawmakers in the Senate wanted to uh, get some more information from the Treasury Secretary. And I think that's that's wise to do so. But a couple of things that caught my attention is that she said that in no way did just radical spending and injecting money uh, into uh, the nation's economy, did that have an effect on deficits, on inflation, Uh, and had any impact whatsoever on the stability of the banking sector? And she also said it was very important that the president enacted this um, coronavirus uh, American Rescue Plan uh, because the economy was tanking at that point, and so she was asked point blank, well, what was inflation at the time the ARPA was passed? And she didn't know. She couldn't answer it. And so the senator, I can't remember who it was that asked the question, says, well, I can tell you it was 1.4%, and we've seen it as, as high as 8%. I i just feel like we have someone in in place here that is more obsessed with ideology and carrying the president's water and doing his bidding then taking care of the nation's uh, banking system and um, and of course running the Treasury
4: uh, and, and I agree. I mean, a complete disconnect with reality. I mean, those statements are asinine for her to be able to to make those type of statements to say that uh, the legislation passed by Democrat Congress did not affect the economy, and uh, several of the pieces of legislation that you uh, spoke about were passed strictly on a party-line vote, where the Democrats supported it, every Republican voted against it. We were talking at the time about the impact it was going to have on inflation, the impact it would have on the economy. Uh, we were told that all of these ex- experts that they had consulted with in the field of <laughs> academia uh, assured them that it was not going to have a negative impact and was just going to do great things. And we see that common sense prevailed over the world of academia. Uh, and what we what we had been warning about uh, has come to fruition. Um, you know, I know you've talked a great deal about the president's budget that he recently released. And, and, again, just how out of touch and how to, out of reality he is. You know, the, the president released the budget with record spending, uh roughly 7 percent uh, increase in all domestic programs, uh a smaller de- defense spending, but record spending, uh, record high taxes. He wants to increase taxes on individuals, on corporations, on capital gains. Uh The president makes a, a statement that at the end of his 10-year budget window uh that the deficit will be reduced. But what he doesn't say in years one through five, the deficit's going to go up. Right. Uh, Congress has never adopted a 10-year budget program. It's not going to happen. We adopt a budget each and every year. So the president's budget actually adds to the existing deficit uh, and is going to do nothing but raise taxes and going to have a detrimental impact on the economy. Uh, You and I talked a few minutes ago off the air about these trust funds that are soon going to be running out of money. The high-rate trust fund, uh, those uh, funds uh, run out in 27. Uh, Social Security's trust fund runs out in 30, and uh, the Medicare runs out in 2033, and so within the next decade, all three of our major trust funds, uh, without being addressed by Congress, are going to run out of money, and that's going to have a detrimental impact on the economy as well. So we have huge economic problems that we have to start dealing with, and I think that's one reason that the Republicans are demanding spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling. We can't have a, a, a debt ceiling that we just continue to raise and without trying to do something to get spending under control. Uh, and I applaud Speaker McCarthy and others within those leadership positions that are trying to b- drag the, the drag the Democrats, drag the administration to the table, and find areas where we can actually reduce spending.
1: Well, yesterday uh, Senator Cassidy uh, questioned uh, Janet Yellen about the president's plan to address just what you're saying, uh, specifically Social Security. He did roll out a plan in his budget to address Medicare, which says, by the way, it can't meet its obligations as early as 2028. It will not be able to 100 percent pay for its responsibilities in the Part A portion of Medicare. And um, she basically said the president cares about it, but Cassidy pointed out, but we he won't take a meeting. I don't I don't really understand why we can't get everybody around the table to address this issue. This is a ticking time
4: bomb. You're right. You know, I mean, and that's one thing. Just getting this president to get to the table, this administration, on anything uh, has been difficult. Uh, But you would think something uh, that uh, is so important to so many Americans, what must we do to preserve the Social Security Trust Fund? What can we start doing now to push that insolvency date off? Uh, Because the closer we get to that date, uh, whether it be the Medicare Trust Fund, Social Security, or the highway, the more extreme the measures are going to have to be. To shore those programs More up. More painful. Yeah, so let's start now, uh, trying to find bipartisan solutions, but we see that that's not what this administration cares about. I mean, that's been so frustrating. Uh, when President Biden ran for office, you know, he claimed that he was going to be the most bipartisan. He was going to work with Republicans. Uh, I think the exact opposite is true. I mean, I think he's been one of the most partisan presidents. Uh, he wants nothing to do with Republicans, uh, and, uh, he is being led by his advisors, uh, to take the country down a very dangerous path that if we don't get off of soon, uh, we're going to have a hard time recovering from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, before you go, tell us about this investigation of who used to be your your uh, close-by neighbor, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He's got a little ethical stuff. <laughs> ethics problem here does she not she
4: she does i can speak only very briefly uh because of what happened a lot of the information that ethics does kind of like a a grand jury criminal case sure uh but there has been a referral from the office of congressional ethics which has investigated it they've referred it over to the ethics committee uh we've adopted uh that investigation that they've begun uh and so that is one of the cases uh that is currently before the ethics committee Wow, okay, and this is can,
1: this is related to this gala at the Met. Right? That's correct, yeah. yes. We sir. can at least say that. Yes, sir, yeah. we can. Okay. All right. Good to see you congressman. Yes, sir. Appreciate Thank it. you. Have a great weekend. You too. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett On Super Talk, Mississippi. There once
1: was a ship that put to sea. The
0: name of the ship was a bully of tea. The winds
5: blew up our up down, oh, below my bully boys blow. <gasps> Soon may the a man come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue is done, we'll take a leave and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore when down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale in tow. <laughs> Soon may <laughs> the one, a man come to bring her sugar oh, and tea man. and rum. One
2: day when it's in, just it makes you want to dance a jig. Girl,
1: <laughs> Oh gosh! Don't forget the boys from Sports Talk Mississippi will be at the Sports Book at Timeout Lounge. That's at the Pearl River Resort today. They'll get you ready for the big basketball tournament. And don't forget, you can catch all the action anytime at the Sports Book at the Timeout Lounge. Uh, also, I need to make a correction. It was Apollo 13, not the right stuff. Apologize for that. Um. Two movies kind of with with similar themes there. Both great movies, by the way. Right Stuff, I think, I um, I like better. Apollo 13 was great, but The Right Stuff is still one of my all-time favorite movies because they, they mixed a little humor in it, a very s- serious subject. Oh, yeah. I, th- I just thought it was well done. Well done. And it won a bunch of Academy Awards. When That's back in the days when Academy Awards, the Oscars, were actually given to uh, movies, actors, actresses, etc., all the other folks involved in producing movies, making movies, on the basis of merit <laughs> back in those days.
2: Kind of. I mean, there's always been debates about the the politics behind the Oscars and stuff like that, because okay. you, you do have examples of people winning an Oscar for a performance that might not have been all that Oscar-worthy, but it felt more like a lifetime achievement. Gotcha. Like uh, like John Wayne. Most movie critics and film buffs would agree that, if not the best performance, one of, one of the best performances John Wayne ever put in was The Searchers a John Ford film from, I believe, 1956, Hmm. but it was up against, like, uh, I forget what all the movies it was up against that year in the Academy Awards, but he didn't win. But then, fast forward, and he wins an Oscar for True Grit, where he plays Rooster Cogburn. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I hear you. It just felt like it was a little... But uh, the awards, at least, were a little more organized around true art- artistic value and talent than uh, the more social-leaning yeah. influence of today. Uh, I read the other day that there, the Academy considering eliminating the categories for actor and actress. You saw that? Yeah, there's been a
2: push by, I think, even some of the winners this year to get it done like that.
1: that We just want unisex deal, right? It's so silly. It's it's nuts. I, I started thinking about yesterday we shared this note that allegedly Joe Biden received. I'm not convinced it really happened from a Charlotte who appears to be a. Young girl, young lady, imploring the president to do something about the pay disparity between men and women, and then it came to mind, Rhino. Wait, we can't define what a woman is. How do we know there's pay disparity? Isn't and how that does a
2: three-year-old know it exists uh, if it does at all?
1: Of course, they don't. They, they've they've been this has been thrust into their heads by adults with an agenda I hate that I hate when you start using children like that to do your bidding for effect it's despicable it truly is but we can't define what a woman is so that, all that's off the table why is it why is there even a discussion about disparity we're all just one big happy gender or a Non-identified gender, I don't even know anymore. I mean, this gender, queer, masculine person that we just talked about that the Signature Bank paid hundred grand to to come teach us how to use pronouns. But maybe there's hope, because we saw this lady out in the California Community College we just discussed, who said, take a hike, DEI people. I completely agree. So much emphasis, so much focus on that for zero value in in my view and it's it's a problem. So yesterday we talked about the senators questioning Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen about the banking collapse and the state of the banking industry. We've got some sound here for you from Senator Bill Cassidy in neighboring Louisiana. She uh, he questions Treasury Secretary Yellen about Social Security.
5: Um, Madam Secretary, the President keeps saying he does not wish to have cuts in in uh, social. Is he aware that under current law, when the program goes broke in nine years, that there will be a twenty-four percent benefit cut for those who are current recipients? Is he aware of that? Well, it's clear that Social Security. But is he? I apologize for interruption, but I have limited time. Is the president aware that when Social goes broke in nine years under current law, there's a 24 percent cut in benefits for people who are currently receiving? If we don't do anything about it, I think that's about right. But okay, let me ask. The president will want wants to strengthen. Social Security and in the sure 4.5 trillion dollars of taxes the president has proposed are any of those taxes going to shore up social security I actually know that answer the answer is of the 4.5 trillion in taxes he has proposed not a dime is going to shore up social security does the president know personally anybody who is dependent upon social security and if their benefits are cut by 24 percent, they will slide into poverty. It's hard for you to know. Uh, so I'll give sure you a pass that on the that. The president knows many people on Social Security. Then why doesn't the president care? He cares very deeply. Then where is his plan? He, he stands ready to work with That's Congress. That's a lie. To address- because on a bipartisan group of senators has repeatedly requested to meet with him about social so that somebody who is a current beneficiary will not see her benefits cut by 24 percent. We have not heard anything on our request, and we've made multiple requests to meet with the president.
1: There you go. So all of that is true, what the senator said, is that the president absolutely offered nothing And um, in the way of plans to address the shortfall, the solvency issue of Social Security, he offered nothing. And she says, oh, he stands ready to work now. Doesn't appear so. Because he won't take a meeting. Because this is a very difficult problem for which there are no easy answers, and none of the answers... Are politically popular, uh, and the same thing is the case for Mississippi's purse and every other public sector retirement system in the country. Same deal; they're all going broke. Uh, again, you got three choices: take more money in, send less out, or a combination of the two. There really is no other alternative. It's just simple math. And they don't want to address it. And anybody that even discusses the possibility of addressing it immediately gets attacked and labeled as, well, they just want to end Social Security and Medicare. And this is a big old problem that ain't going away. And the same is true in PERS. Same exact deal. We shared with you the other day that PERS loss had a 13% negative return on its 30 1000000000 dollars investment portfolio last year, and given the volatility of markets this year, and who knows what's coming with this banking debacle, PERS is at further risk. But if you even talk about cutting benefits, and I'm not suggesting that, I, I'm just sharing what is just mathematical fact. More coming in, less going out, combination of the two. Well, more coming in means you got to increase the contribution rate. There's two components, just like Social Security and Medicare. There's the employer component and the employee component. So in the public sector, who pays for the an increase in the employer component? Taxpayers. It's essentially a tax increase. Who pays for the... Increase in the employee component? The state workers. Who wants to go tell them, I'm sorry, we got to increase your contribution to PERS to keep it going? Nobody wants to hear that. Who wants to tell taxpayers, I'm sorry, I got to increase your taxes to cover the necessary increase in the employer contribution rate? And by the way, this affects cities and counties as well because their employees participate in PERS. And if the, there's an increase in the employer contribution rate, that means cities and counties would have to hit the hip and cover that. Well, that means potentially higher property taxes and uh, higher sales taxes, et cetera. Coming right back, final segment of Hour 2 on Middays, and then a full hour remains on this Friday. Y'all stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk, Mississippi. This is what we stand for. My
2: dad is spending his life looking up at the sky. He cussed,
1: kicked the dust, saying, sun it's way too dry. The clouds up in the city, the weatherman complains. That would be Luke Bryan I'm bumping, I'm bumping I'm us into this segment here on middays. Days. Very recognizable voice. We got some tickets to give away later on in the program. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. On the C Spire text line. Someone uh, asked earlier if we did a little breakdown of the status of the, uh, the banking sector. And it, real quickly, yeah, here we go, Scott and Soso. <clears throat> Here's what's going on on that. The, the, the big news this morning, uh, two, two things. First, Silicon Valley Bank, the parent company, has filed for bankruptcy. So that does clear the way for sale of its assets. The other thing is that First Republic Bank received a $30 billion, let's call it a lifeline, from 11 different banks. I actually like this plan, and here's why. This is with zero government backstop, zero government intervention, except that Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morgan, I consider the best bank CEO in the country. One of the best, if not maybe the best, CEO, period, in the country. And he contacted Janet Yellen, said, I have an idea. His bank, the other big banks, have got excess reserves. So they got together, 11 of them did. Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, that's the next three largest banks, and said, in, in deposited money in First Republic. It's a pretty good idea, honestly, to keep them afloat. So those are the two things going on. It has been revealed also that the bank executives at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, of course, sold a bunch of stock uh, not so long ago, also paid out bonuses. All that is obviously terrible and bad management, given... What they knew was imminent, management did. They knew their exposure and their risk sitting on all these low interest-bearing bonds and seeing interest rates going up and their concentration in an industry that was struggling and starting to withdraw money to make payroll. They knew all this. These were red flag warning signs to anybody that knows Banking 101, which, by the way, would not include anybody on their board, (laughs) the people in charge. They could probably spout you all their pronouns, but not anything about bank risk. So that's kind of where that stands right now, uh, the banking industry in general, with respect to Mississippi's banks and the typical community bank and regional bank. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to see new regulations coming out of Washington. I don't like it, but I think you're going to see it. And really what that means is that more stress testing done on banks at, at a smaller scale, which just costs them more to do business to deal with all that nonsense. you got regulators in your presence seven days a week, it seems, 24 hours a day, around the clock, every day of the year. I th- the other thing, I think, the other reaction I think you'll see is many of these banks start to really tighten up their credit. So the combination of more regulations, which will cause them to tighten up their credit, and just their policies, internal policies, where they're going to scrutinize every single loan a lot more carefully, a lot more closely. And when they do that, tightening of credit, I think that's going to have a negative impact. It, it has to on economic activity. Well, there's a positive there's a positive and a negative of that. The positive is that's exactly what's going to tame inflation. It's going to be tightening of credit. I'm predicting it now. It's not not talking about next week. I'm talking over the next quarter or two. I think you're going to see a decline in the, in the CPI, Consumer Price Index, as a result of tightening of credit. Because that just means less economic activity, less expansion, less investment by businesses. Can't get capital. And businesses, in general, start to hunker down when they see things get a little unstable. So it's that... That impairment of economic activity is what I believe will ultimately tame inflation. Now, the, that's the good news. The bad news is corporate earnings are going to suffer. The suffering of corporate earnings will factor into the markets. Because profit is, the, despite what the left wants you to believe, profit is the mother's milk of stocks. Not ESG and DEI. That undo squat from a financial perspective. In fact, it harms financial returns. Coming right back on middays after Super Talk News and Fox News. Stay with us.
0: And now.
1: We are back in the Element Well Studios, Hour 3 of Middays on this. Friday, y'all. And it's now no longer top of the morning to you. We're in the afternoon. But it's still St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Some reporters yesterday got all over a Karine Jean-Pierre. They said, the president doesn't ever take questions from the press pool. Ha! <laughs> And she got a bit indignant about it, as you can imagine. Honestly, and this is not personal, but as a White House press secretary, she's sort of worthless. Not personal, just business, as they say. Janet Yellen, by the way, I did look it up. (laughs) uh, It's crazy. But back in 2021... You remember that not so long ago. 2021, this is when the Fed started increasing rates off their zero, off of zero. And she said, I don't see any inflation problem. (laughs) That was in, in 21. Okay, then in 22, that wasn't so long ago. She was um, questioned about, at that point, you know, is when we started to see evidence of inflation. And she said that, um, no, I, I just don't think that pandemic spending, the $1.9 trillion spent in the American Rescue Plan in 2021, first thing Joe Biden did, Legislatively speaking, no. Just don't think that that had anything to do with the little bit of inflation that we're seeing. Nor do I think we're we're going to experience protracted inflation. I think
2: I found some audio
1: from her. Okay, do it. I see nothing. I know nothing. She will forever and from now forth be referred to as Sergeant Schultz yelling. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's Janet Schultz. We can do we can do that. She in fact encouraged lawmakers in twenty one at her confirmation hearing. You gotta act big on pandemic relief. And this is what's really at the core of this. It's all political. They knew, despite what she said as recent as yesterday, the economy was in tatters when Joe Biden took over. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was recovering. It was coming out of the pandemic. Folks were going back to work. The worst was behind us, even though they kept telling us it's going to be a dark winter coming up. That never happened, did it? Didn't happen. Everything they told us didn't happen. But the economy was recovering on its own, quite nicely, at its own pace. But she encouraged lawmakers to go big, and this was all because, I believe, they didn't want the economy to recover without them acting in a big way. So they could then take credit for it, which is what they've been doing. And the focus, of course, is on job creation.
2: It's funny, though. They won't
1: take any credit for the inflation they created. Nope. Or the rise of interest rates. Now, the bank failures, which I still maintain, wouldn't have happened were it not for such a rapid track of increasing interest rates. That's essentially what devalued SVB's assets. I'm not making excuses for... They're investing significantly in a single industry, investing in the form of loans and relying on that same single industry for its depositor-based. That's dumb. That's dumb banking. Uh, Not making an, an excuse for that, but I absolutely am convinced that the American Rescue Plan is what drove inflation way beyond what would have occurred had they done nothing. And that then... Necessitated, at least in the Fed's view, increasing the Fed funds benchmark rate. And that's what pounded the value of all these holdings. That's exactly what happened. So, what's different in Mississippi's banking environment and in most banking environments? <laughs> and Gordon Fellows with the Banking Association the Bankers Association was on with Paul discussing this we don't have any banks in mississippi that have a huge concentration of customers either lenders and or depositors in a single industry that's just dumb we don't have that so if an industry goes south and that impacts a bank a financial institution a single industry won't take it down Single industry did go south in the case of SVB, and it took it down because that was the majority of their customers from both a borrower perspective and a depositor perspective. That's just bad management. But they got the pronouns right. They dumped $75 million in Black Lives Matter. And old, what's his name, Becker, the CEO, he hot-tailed it off to Maui This week, to enjoy his $3 million townhouse on the island, I don't begrudge him of that. That's fine. But your mismanagement and your placement of social justice ahead of profit, risk management, and just sound business operation techniques cost us all, honestly. That's exactly what happened. Because this is what this is what's going to happen. I think you're going to see the FDIC propose to insure all deposits, no matter what the value. And that will require banks, including our community and regional banks, to pay a higher price in the, in the way of insurance premiums, what they do, to cover that. And that will be passed on to us consumers. That's exactly what's going to happen. But, honestly, you're the Treasury Secretary, and you missed this, this inflation prediction, and you pushed the administration to go big. I think you failed. you got to be fired, just like Mayorkas. But, of course, he's not going to do that. Not going to do that. Because it's an admission of failure on his part and whom he appointed in those positions. It's a reflection. He would see it on him, and he won't do it. How can U.S. citizens be shocked at news that recently came to light that we already knew about for the past two years? Says Joe from Sumrall. I think he's talking about the all these revelations regarding the Bidens and their criminal activity and the cozy relationship with China. I agree. Ben from Madison says, is there anything out there that the Congress wants to get done in a bipartisan manner? He says, thanks, I completely understand if you can't get to this question. Honestly, Ben, I'd have to think about it. I mean, there's maybe some bipartisan support for the country's posture with respect to Iran, even China, to some extent. Now, that's not to say there are not some in Congress that dissent with that basic position held widely. But what
2: it, was the resolution, was it last week, to declassify all materials related to the uh, lab leak? Yeah, that's
1: true. There's some bipartisan that support for totally that. That was bipartisan. Yeah, totally agree. In fact, I think it was unanimous, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. That's a good point. Yeah, but when you get to... Economic policy, tax policy. No, there's zero. I mean there just there's very little congruence there. Tom in Carthage says, Don't forget Joe Exotic is planning on coming out. I heard that. Running for president,
2: right? From prison. From federal prison. <laughs> That's unbelievable. If I'm not mistaken, it's still within his constitutional rights. That's right. I don't think he really has a snowballs chance in Hades. <laughs>
1: Nancy Pelosi, just for perspective here, says, as it pertains to Social Security, there's nothing moderate about privatizing Social Security, cutting earned benefits, or raising the retirement age. These extreme Republican schemes must be stopped. Democrats enacted Social Security for seniors to pay into a dignified retirement, and we will protect it. You're actually wrong about that there, uh, Toots. It wasn't, Social Security was not designed to pay for and fund retirement. It was designed to be a backstop, assuming that you had other plans to take care of your retirement. It was just to be kind of a fill-in, backstop, safety net. You're wrong, Nancy. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios.
0: This program, Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news, huge, huge, huge news, huge. You news. need to listen to this. Midday's with Gerard Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Plus oh, that's a new one.
2: Well, the Cranberries are an Irish band. Oh,
1: I see what you did there. So uh, I got an announcement to make, and that is uh, I have offered uh, my services <laughs> as uh, the VP on the ticket with Vivek Ramaswamy. I sent him a direct message on Twitter to let him know I was available. We'll see. What's the worst they could say? I know exactly. I'm serious. Vivek. You never know unless you ask. Ramaswamy Gibbert, twenty twenty four. Uh I encourage everybody, seriously, to go to his website and just take a look. What he has to say. He's great on video. He's a fantastic communicator. Very succinct very knowledgeable, a very plain-speaking person, even though he's brilliant, brilliant. See what he has to say. I, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. He's not a career politician. He's not been feeding at the taxpayer trough. I just think he'd be good. Take a look at it. Tim and McGee says, uh, this is on the C-SPIRE text line, that's six zero one I'm sorry, Representative Guest, but these people aren't immigrants. They are illegal aliens or just illegals. I, I hear you, Tim, and I agree with you, and I promise you the congressman knows that. Um, I think sometimes the terms get sort of interchanged, but... I know, and I think you've heard him on the program, he's a proponent of closing our borders and getting them under control at a minimum. I think he, like the rest of us, is disgusted with Mayorkas. It's that arrogant, flippant attitude, Rhino, when they go to the Hill, like yelling yesterday. It was almost like, how dare you ask me about that? Well, then don't sign up for those roles. Treasury Secretary, maybe two or three in the Cabinet. Agree, state, AG, Treasury, I would say. I mean, you could toss that around. It's pretty dang important right now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No doubt about that. Robert Reich, our old friend, his latest (laughs) forced birth Forced birth. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody forced you to engage in the activity that got you pregnant. Forced birth in a country with No universal health care. No universal child care. No paid family and medical leave. One of the highest rates of maternal mortality among rich nations. This isn't about life. It's about control. (laughs) That's what he said. These folks are really good at gaslighting, projecting. Everything is is... He boils everything down to redistribution, honestly. That's his proposed solution to everything. Take from this group, give to another. And ultimately, the plan in Social Security and Medicare, you can see this coming. It's just to tax the upper incomes. Let them pay for everybody's Social Security and Medicare. Except it's not enough. That's the problem they won't tell you. It may look good on paper, it may be popular. Yeah, just let them billionaires pay for my social security and health care when I'm retired. And that'll sell. It'll absolutely sell. But they won't share with you the mathematical realities of that. And and so that snowball just keeps keeps on heading downhill. What are your thoughts about the country, uh, pardon me, the government essentially guaranteeing all deposits, asks Mike from Madison. Good for public confidence, but isn't it essentially another form of quantitative easing? easing? Well, I right, so let's clarify. If the FDIC um, gets involved here and, and they become the insurer of all deposits, Well, that will mainly be, that burden will be placed on the member institutions in the form of insurance. If you look at, however, the FDIC's assets, it's not even remotely close to being able to cover serious failure. So insurance premiums would have to increase. As far as the government stepping in, well, the Fed did did um, extend a facility, create a facility, a credit facility to SVB, which is collateralized by its assets, which are primarily U.S. Treasuries, low-interest-bearing U.S. Treasuries. However, what the Fed did was it uh, made the facility available to Silicon, and other banks, too, Silicon Valley Bank, Collateral using their treasury holdings as collateral without what's called marking them to market, which basically means if you if you invested in a treasury two years ago at par value of hundred thousand bucks, Silicon Valley Bank, but today the market value of that because it's only paying two percent is. $70,000, bucks. we are still going to give you credit for 100000 in collateralizing any loans we would provide you. I hope that, that made sense there. But So essentially, they're telling them, even though you're sitting on these assets that aren't worth nearly as much as you paid for them, we're going to still accept that at par value as collateral if you need this money from the discount window to shore up your balance sheet. So it is true, Mike, that in that particular case, given that we don't got no money, we ain't got no money, <laughs> every extra dime that we output at the Treasury and the government, it is um it's printed. Right? We don't have any excess sitting around. So in this case it's the Fed. Well the Fed has the authority to print money, and so yeah, it just just adds it up on the taxpayers, in essence, essentially. Um, So that is, in effect, quantitative easing. That's QE. I, I don't like it, necessarily. I do think there should be reasonable regulations. I do think we have sufficient regulations in place now without adjusting them to protect against what happened at SVB. I just think we had people... Uh, out in the field, at the Fed in San Francisco, regulators um, that work for the banking regulatory agency, the controller of currency, etc. I think they failed in their jobs. I think they just seemed to discount what was going on. Same with KPMG, their financial auditors. I just can't comprehend how they didn't call attention to what was pretty clear and imminent. So, I think it's just a failure. Incompetence? Yeah, possibly. Sure seems like it to me. I don't know that there was anything nefarious going on. I just think it's sheer incompetence. What it, what it feels like. Hmm. Um C.C. in Sanatobia says, all I'm looking for is a simple trans, bi, cis, queer, neutral, lesbian man, preferably with blonde hair, but I'm not picky. I think referring to this uh, Finn uh, guy that was advising doing the pronoun seminar for Signature Bank that described himself as gender, queer, masculine, whatever, trans, masculine, something like that. So complicated. My wife said I identify as red donkey and redneck honky. (laughs) A redneck honky. (laughs) Gotcha. Any and every bank examiner who examined that bank should be fired and their financials should be looked into. I agree with you on that. Um, On the C Spire text line, just got through saying that. Totally agree. Banking without moral hazard or consequence is immoral banking. J.P. Morgan himself valued character over all other qualities in a man asking for a loan, says Rick in Gulfport. Totally true. And and it's interesting you say that, Rick. I was just about to say, man, we sure, I was thinking about old Archie Bunker, sure could use a man like Hoybert Hoover, isn't that what he said in the song? We could use J.P. Morgan today to reinstate those values in banking. He's pretty good at it, no doubt about it. Of course, the left loves to blast him. He was got got wealthy doing that. Oh, God, the robber barons and all that kind of crap. No, he created incredible value for society. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios, we got tickets to give away. Stay with us.
0: .fm Gerard Gibbert.
1: We are back in the Element Well Studios. It is a midday Super Talk Mississippi on this. Friday, y'all. Signature Bank, 87.6% of their deposits uninsured. That's more than Silicon Valley at 65%. That's interesting. Uh, Wow. Incredible. All right. You want to give away some tickets here?
2: Yeah, let's give away some tickets because we got... Grammy award winning and platinum selling band train on their way to the Brandon Amphitheater on September 7th. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com, or you can swing by the box office at the Brandon Amphitheater. But you got a chance to win. You can win a pair of tickets by being the 21st person to text into the C Spire text line. And that number is 601 879 4395. Be the 21st person to text in the word Jupiter and you'll win a pair of tickets to see Train at the Brandon Amphitheater on September 7th.
1: All righty. Jerry in Waynesboro says the imminent bankruptcy of Blackstone will trigger a catastrophic global financial collapse. Well, it would, uh, Jerry, but I don't see that happening. That's conspiracy theory nonsense, honestly. Got to tell you, it just is. They don't have concentration. So you would see lots of other stuff happen, Long before there were a collapse of Blackstone, which, of course, is wealth manager and investment bank and not a standard commercial bank. Um, what percentage of our uncompensated health care is illegal Im- immigrants? It's a little off topic for today. Yeah, but it's, it's teeny tiny. I don't like it. Most of them honestly don't seek care. And uh, those that do, it's, it's still a, a small portion because most, most of the immigrants are not old. And it's when you get old where all the expense of health care really comes into play. Thomas disagrees with me that uh, the move on the part of the 11 banks that came to the assistance of Signature Bank so he says that not being allowed to fail and suffer the consequences is the precedent. Nothing about that bailout was capitalism. Completely one hundred percent disagree, Thomas. It was total capitalism. It's total free markets. I thought you were a free market guy. You just want the banks to you want to control how the banks operate. We got enough regulation on that point. These guys looked at their balance sheets. They know how much. They had available. So simply making a deposit at another bank to keep it afloat benefits them, their depositors, their investors, their stockholders. That's capitalism in its finest. That's good management. That was, I think, a brilliant idea. So I disagree with you on that. Darren and Jackson says, I can't tell you what my wife says my pronouns are. <laughs> Thank you, Gerard. We don't need to worry about abortion. We need to worry about what makes you become available to need an abor- abortion. It's called sex ed. You have sex. You have babies. It's not hard. They, they understand it, Michael, I believe. Uh, this is Michael from Starkville that sent this in. I, I think it's a society that seems to celebrate and praise and even laud promiscuity. Getting pregnant when you're in high school, it's just completely upside down. And I think there's a lot of copycat sort of stuff. Well, I saw my classmate there get all these, all this praise and love and affection and parties and stuff. Well, I want to do the same thing. I really do think that is a <laughs> factor that influences. They know. Do the capital gains taxes on those lost asset value reimbursement like us pay? I'm not following on the ceasefire tax line here. Uh, Capital gains taxes are only applicable when an asset is disposed of. So if it just lost value on paper, no capital gains taxes apply. Joe Biden, of course, wants to change that. He wants to apply capital gains taxes on the increase in the uh, value of assets held by certain, certain members of society based on their income level and their, uh, their net worth. That's essentially taxing assets without disposing of them is, honestly, is wealth confiscation. They call it a wealth tax. It's terrible, and it would, um, I think, be incredibly destructive to the economy. But Biden, Liz Warren and company, oh man, they're obsessed with that. They love it. Tim in Cleveland says When I see the rich liberals redistributing their money to those less fortunate, then maybe I will believe they are serious. Yeah, I hear you. Some some of them do, Tim, um, but I'm with you. They don't part with their money as much as they want. (laughs) They'd lecture you to part with it, that's for sure. Uh, Yeah, it was Ray on the Coast that reminded that Apollo 13 is when the Spirit in the Sky, that was the movie that featured the Spirit in the Sky song, not the right stuff. I'm sorry, I got them confused, but I remember very uh, very, uh, well, both movies. They were awesome. Yeah, and it was Fred Hayes from Biloxi, one of the astronauts. Passed away, right? Is that right? We looked that up not so long ago. Well, let's see here. Uh, Nobody wants to tell the truth on how to save PERS just like nobody wants to tell the truth on saving the hospitals. It's simple math, like you said, says Kevin on the road. Fred Hayes is still with us. Still with us. Thank you. Yeah, it was, Maybe it was somebody else in that crew. Maybe maybe that's where I'm getting confused. Uh, yeah. Hayes from Biloxi, Mississippi, of Apollo 13 fame, correct?
2: Yeah. That's correct. Yeah.
1: Uh, No problem with the topic change. Uh, Do you think Biden is going to respond to the Russian show, the put on putting down our drone? I don't know what he's going to do. Honestly, um, I did see a prediction this morning from uh, one of the retired generals that you see a lot on the news say that they think the Ukraine is well positioned to have some sort of major conflict with Russia and run them out of the country and reclaim the territory that Russia has overtaken, like in the next few weeks that they're gearing up for that. I I found that interesting. That would have a very positive effect on the economy, the markets, etc. No doubt about that. We'll see. Basically, Medicaid for deposits. No, not even close. Somebody on the ceasefire tax line talking about FDIC. I believe that's what they're talking about, the uh, increase in the FDIC coverage as far as the face value of any bank accounts. It, not, not really. I can't draw that comparison. I mean, Medi- Medicaid is just free health care that's just that's just brute force welfare free health care uh, based on meeting certain eligibility requirements and and some of the other eligibility criteria as well to to uh, in one of the coverage groups that Medicaid extends coverage to Pelosi said that the bailout money is not coming from the taxpayers if the government has money and it didn't come from the taxpayers. Then where did it come from? Seriously, this is unbelievable. Well, it is primarily coming from the FDIC, the cost of which is borne by the members of the FDIC. That's the banks. The money that is being loaned from the Fed is not really coming technically from the taxpayers. She's she's right about that. It's nuanced, however.
2: It's coming from the deposit insurance fund.
1: That, that part of it is, but the facility that the Fed is making available, the, the credit facility, um, to, to, so that the bank can get capital to shore up, or other banks, to shore up their balance sheets, that's not coming from the FDIC, that's just a, essentially a loan. But the difference is, what they're doing is they're saying, look, if you'll pledge your, your Treasury securities you've got on your balance sheet, at what we'll we'll give it to you, um, we'll give you the value of that at par, hundred percent of the face value in exchange for a loan. That's what they're doing. That the market won't. If they if they liquidated those securities to raise capital to shore up their balance sheet, investors aren't going to give them par because they're not worth par anymore because interest rates have risen. It gets a little a, a little wonky, but yeah. So that's how that works. Coming right back with a final segment here. We got a winner, don't we? We do. We're coming right back.
0: He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
1: In the Element Well Studios, if we were taxed on the increase in the value of investments by that line of thinking, you could be taxed on the increase in value of your home, even if you didn't sell it. That's correct. That's Sam and Tupelo. Keep in mind, Biden's proposal would only apply to those who have a household net worth of north of $100 million. He wants... um, He wants to essentially double the capital gains tax rate by taxing all capital gains for households whose net worth exceeds $100 million at ordinary income rates. So that'd bring it up to roughly 40% at the federal level over the present 20%. And then um, he wants a 25% minimum tax on households with net worth exceeding $100 million. So it is true that the wealthiest taxpayers in America pay about 8% tax rate, but that, of course, <laughs> contemplates that the wealth the the appreciation of uh, assets for these wealthy individuals would be taxed they don't they don't look at it strictly from a a nominal perspective where you're just applying the tax to assets which were sold liquidated they they don't they won't do that they, they want you to consider that it's only 8% because they're taking into consideration the, the increase in the value of assets on paper without selling them. So it's a series of taxes, the minimum 25% tax, doubling or taxing capital gains, which effectively doubles the tax on capital gains as ordinary income. So it's that. And then there's a tax on wealth. They, they want to consider the increase in the value of assets at the start of the year to the end of the year. And if that went up in value, you're going to pay tax on that, even though you didn't sell it, just as if you sold it, which is complete insanity and just crazy. Frank in Grenada says gold market and futures running wi- wide open. Yeah, I, not surprised. Lots of volatility everywhere, Frank. Gerard, I hope you and your top secret documents don't go separate ways, says Dan in Hattiesburg. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they're in a Journey record album. Not telling you where that is. Just turned to MSNBC. Four global banks just put on restrictive Deal breaking, I think, is what Jerry and Waynesboro saying. Yeah, I th- you're going to see, like we said, Jerry, a, a tightening of credit standards across the spectrum of banks in this country, and I think that will lead to a reduction of economic activity that ultimately is going to bring down inflation. Will be f- no result of anything that uh, Powell and his rate-hiking activities have caused won't be that. It'll just be the uh, the lack of availability of capital. No investment, no expansion, no hiring, just a no profit to the companies that sell stuff that needs capital to finance it. Yeah, I mean, that's how it works. That in in effect will tame inflation. Because there'll just be less demand. Still no policies to increase supply. Never makes it to the radar. Nothing. Don't even think about it. If Biden wants to reduce inflation, he should resign, says Zach in Oxford. This is ludicrous and it makes zero difference whether it's millionaires or not. If they tax me on the appreciation of my house right now, I would be bankrupt. They have lost their minds. So when they sell it, they pay zero tax, only if they made more than they were taxed on it previously. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, um, Zach. And so w- what would happen is the disposition of the asset would be irrelevant. It, you would just pay the uh, the tax on it if you, you sold it in the middle of the year, you would pay the tax on it um, based on the increase in value at the beginning of the year, if that makes any sense to you. So, because you're, if if you um, if they, if you started paying that tax right now, they'd have to go back and establish the cost, the basis, which would be a total nightmare and a big old, big old farce riddled with fraud, no doubt about it. You'd catch up, pay it. And then in the subsequent years, you'd only be paid only on the increase from the first time that you paid it. And then you'd carry that on. But, yeah, I hear you, Zach. And I agree with you. It's crazy. I don't care if they're millionaires, billionaires or not. This is crazy talk. This is what they do in communist countries. It's wealth confiscation. We are out of time here in the Element Wealth Studios today. Hope you have a great weekend. Back with it on Monday. Stay safe and God bless.